You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So I'm going to tell you a short story, and then after I tell the story, uh, I want you to determine what the lesson or the application or the point of the story is, okay? There was a monastery, and although every evening they had services of worship, nobody really felt like they were gifted when it came to singing. But on one particular day, the monastery was abuzz because... A traveler was spending the night who was a noted vocalist and agreed to sing in their services of worship. Everybody determined the night was a huge success. All the monks refrained from singing just to let the noted vocalist offer praise and worship to the Lord. And so that night the abbot went to bed and went to sleep. And when he went to sleep he had a dream. And in the dream, an angel came to him and said, What happened tonight? Every night in heaven we wait for the beautiful worship that rises from your services of worship. But tonight we didn't hear any. Oh, no. The abbot protested. Something is wrong. Uh, Usually we do not have beautiful music in our services, but tonight we had a traveling visitor, a guest, a noted vocalist. For the first time in years, our music was beautiful. To which the angel responded. But in heaven, we heard nothing. So what's the application? Or what's the point? Or what's the lesson from that story? Could it simply be a reminder that our worship is directly connected to the condition of our hearts? So could it be nothing more than just a simple reminder that our worship is directly connected to the condition of our hearts? So so we've been singing for a hour or so this morning. And and I just got to wonder in the last half hour, What they heard in heaven. You, you see, this is, this is the real issue of Matthew 23. This is what Jesus is struggling with. With the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. And he says to them, what I've been seeing in you is that you do not practice what you preach. And everything you do, everything you do, everything you do is to be done to be seen by men. And he calls them hypocrites. You remember last week we talked about what the word hypocrite comes from. It comes from Greek comedy and tragedy and Greek theater. And so a person would play more than one role in a play and they would simply take a mask that was on a stick and hold it in front of their face 
and they would therefore hide their identity, and they would pretend to be somebody else. And so the word hypocrite really means an actor or someone hiding behind a mask. And Jesus says to the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, you are hypocrites, you are phony, you're fake, you're pretenders. You try to project an image of someone that you are, but in your hearts, you're really somebody else. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I think about Jesus and I think about him being a really nice guy, a very compassionate person, a very tender man, a very gentle man. I mean, that's how I would describe Jesus to people. In fact, every time I open the Bible, except Matthew 23, it seems like that's the picture that I get. But in Matthew 23, he goes to name calling. You hypocrites, he says six times. And he calls them blind guides. He actually says, you are blind fools. You are snakes. You're a brood of vipers. That's what you are. And, and what is it about hypocrisy that is such a big deal to Jesus? And what is it about hypocrisy that is such a huge thing to God? I mean, why did he start name-calling so we'll pick up in verse 15, okay? Matthew 23, pick up in verse 15. We'll keep reading. Here's what Jesus has to say as he continues this conversation with the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Uh, you travel over the land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, brace yourself on this sentence, okay? When he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Um, if somebody said that to me, I would not be feeling good about myself. Uh, woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by the oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater? Is it the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it. And by the one who dwells in it, and he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne, and by the one who sits on it. Now listen to these words. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices like mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law like justice and like mercy and like, like faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, you won't drink a gnat, you strain, strain your drink before you drink the gnat, but, but you swallow an entire camel. Strong words. And, and what Jesus is really doing is confronting this issue of hypocrisy. You, you, you project an image, you're, you're trying to act like you're 
somebody, but in reality, you're, you're not living that life at all. You're somebody else. You, you lack integrity. You are deceiving people. You, you're not concerned about justice. You have issues when it comes to compassion, and you have issues when it comes to faithfulness. So, <clears throat> I, I don't want to go to church on Sunday and, and go home and, uh, and just watch some golf and go to bed and, and not be any better. Uh, what, what do you do with these words? And, and how do they have an impact on our lives? And, and what would we do with these words of Jesus to actually allow them to change our hearts and who we are? Because it's really easy just to see the Word of God and just to walk away and, and not let it have any difference in the way you live your life. And I, I don't want to do that. I want, I want to be better when I leave here because I was here. And so because that Jesus actually is talking to the Pharisees about how they interact with other people. I think the only thing we can do is apply this to our lives and how we relate to others. And, and so if we just ask the questions that Jesus asked of the Pharisees, I think what we would end up doing is, is thinking like this, some, okay? Here we go. Um, the people that know you, do they want to become like you? I'm not talking about your personality or whether or not you have a really good jump shot. I'm talking about your character. So, so people who know you, do, do they want to become like you? I was with a friend for the last couple of days, and, and before I left, I was able to say to him, I want you to know that you are, in everything I can see, you are rock solid. You love God so deeply. And you're so consistent. And when I look at your life, I want you to know that I admire what I see. And I have no problem saying, I want to follow you as you follow Christ. I mean, I would, I would be okay being like you. Because you are striving to be like Jesus. And, and so people who know you and know you well, would they say that about you? Would, would they say, I'm okay following you as you follow Christ because what I'm seeing in your life is really good and solid and consistent and you're faithful and you are who you say you are and you live the life that you claim to live. So are other people watching your life saying that about you? I mean, that's at the core of what Jesus is dealing with here. So, so people who know you, would they call you a person of integrity? If anybody ever questioned your integrity, would all those other people say, no way, buddy, you got the wrong guy? Would people say that of me? Would they say, not Rick, Rick wouldn't do it. I'm telling you, I know Rick, Rick would not do that. The, the people who know you, do they see you as a person who is fair? Do they see you as a person who is compassionate? Are you going to stop and help somebody who's hurting? Are, are you going to give when it's time to give? 
Because those are the issues that Jesus is challenging the Pharisees about. So I want to talk to you for the time that we have left about what we find in this couple paragraphs, these couple paragraphs of Scripture. Uh, I knew a guy who said to me one Sunday after, after church, I, I'd been preaching this sermon about how we need to initiate faith conversations and we need to share Jesus with people and we need to invite people into conversations about faith and we need to invite people to church and we need to invite people into our lives and walk with them. And so he says to me, uh, I, can't, I can't do what you're asking. He was kind of shaking a little bit. Uh, he appeared to be really nervous. And so I, I was listening closely and I said to him, why, why, why can't you do you know, what I'm talking about? He said, because nobody at my work and the people at my work need Jesus as bad as anybody I know. But the people at my work have no idea that I go to church. He said, in fact, they have no idea that I would, you know, call myself a Christian. Because he said, and this is where he really got nervous, tears in his eyes. I don't live at work like I live when I'm at church or when I'm at home. My wife, Pastor Rick, has no idea what I'm like at work. And he said, if I invited somebody at my work to come to church, or I told somebody at my work that they needed God in their lives, their response would be, nobody needs God in their lives more than you do. And so I'm going to borrow some words from the scripture, but I think what he was really trying to say was simply this. I don't think anybody at my work would ever want to become like me. And if I tried to convert somebody at my work, what would I convert them to? To be like me? Here's, here's the heart of the issue. You, you have in Acts 17, um, Paul going to Thessalonica, and he had a strategy for evangelism. And here's how he did it, okay? I don't know if you have a strategy, but he had a very definite, clear-cut strategy. He would go to the places of worship... And he would talk to people about Jesus. And so here's what happens in Acts 17. It says that some Jews and some God-fearing Greeks became followers of Christ. And so you might be asking, so who are these God-fearing Greeks? Well, here's how that works out, okay? You had people who were not Jewish, of course, in the day that, you know, Paul was doing his missionary work. Jesus had already been crucified and had been resurrected and was with the Father. And so you had these people who were not born Jewish, but, but they believed that the Jewish moral law was really good. In fact, you know, sometimes people say to a guy once in Cincinnati, say to me, Pastor Rick, I'm not a Christian. I don't have any aspirations to become a Christian, but I do have a lot of respect for the Judeo-Christian ethic. And I think that if our society adopted and lived by the Judeo-Christian ethic, our society would be a much better place. 
And so what he was saying was, I have great respect for the moral law. Although I'm not going to be a Christian. And so what, what happened was you had these Greeks who said, we like the idea of one God. And we like the moral law of the Jewish people, but we're obviously not Jews. However, on occasion, the Pharisees would convince one of those God-fearing Greeks to convert fully to Judaism. And now not only did they practice the moral law, but the ceremonial law. And they tried to become Jews for all intents and purposes. And what was not uncommon was that a new convert would become the most fanatical in keeping the rules and the law. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, and so what would you convert them to? To make them what? Twice as much a son of hell as you. Because you are not bringing them to God, the Father. You are bringing them to your religion. And you're not telling them what it is to become a lover and a worshiper of God. You're telling them what it is to keep the rules. You ever, you ever wonder what we're converting people to? I mean, I think it's a really good question. And so when a person comes here on Sunday for the first time, because somebody comes here on Sunday for the first time every week, and so what are we converting them to? What are, we, what are we helping them to become? I, I think it's a great question to ask. I, I, I came out of my house one day, and, and I was going to the mailbox, and a guy is coming into our cul-de-sac. This was a couple of years ago, and he's in a truck, and he kind of rushes toward me, jumps out of his truck, and he walks up with a business card, and he says what his name is and what company he's with. And he says, uh, you, you having any trouble with your roof because there's been some storms through here and a lot of people in your neighborhood are needing new roofs. And I said, actually I have. I've been on my roof about five times replacing shingles. <laughs> he says, okay, here's what we're going to do, okay? And he, hands, he, he had already handed me his card. He points to the card. He says, you need to call your insurance company and tell them, here's my name, here's my company. Tell them that I've been on your roof five times replacing shingles. And what we're going to do is we're going to get you a new roof out of the deal, okay? And, and I looked at him and I said, but, but you haven't been on my roof five times. He goes, that doesn't matter. They will never know, okay? What I'm going to do is I'm going to help you get a new roof out of this deal. I said, well, no, wait, wait, wait. I said, I, I, I don't want to do that. No, no, you don't understand. I'm going to help you out. We're going to get you a roof out of this deal. I said, well, I, I don't have a lot. But I have my integrity. If, if I were to give away my integrity, what, what would I have left? No, 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 it's not about that. Let, let me explain to you. Here's what we're going to do. It's about a roof, okay? I said, no, you, you don't understand. I'm not going to work with you. He says, why not? I said, because you, you're willing to lie, and you're asking me to lie. And if you would lie to my insurance company, then you would lie to me. He says, no, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm just going to lie to them. No, no, we're not going to do this. I, I would never work with you because I don't trust you. 
He says, you understand, I'm trying to help you get a roof. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, if, if you make a deal with somebody, which a, an oath was like a contract for us today, um, you, you swear by the altar and the person comes and says, okay, we had a contract, you made an oath, we have a deal. Um, your response is, no, I'm not paying you anything because I swore by the altar, but I didn't swear by the gift on the altar, and that is not binding. Jesus says, what, what is that? Um, you, you swear by the temple, and somebody says, okay, I'm here to collect, and you say, I don't owe you anything because I swore by the temple, I did not swear by the gold on the temple, and we've all decided that that is not binding. And Jesus says, you you're just finding ways to be dishonest. And you have forsaken your own integrity. People don't even view you as honest anymore. I, I think this is pretty crucial. What if, what if this was our last Sunday in this building? What if we never came here again? What if we just left the community today? Where would we go? I, I don't know. Let's say we, we're, we're going to go somewhere else to worship. We just leave. We're gone. We never come back. Would the community know that we left? H how long would it take the community to say... I don't think they have church there anymore. I don't think there's anybody there. I think it's an empty building. If, if we left town tomorrow, how long would it take our community to know that we had left? In other words, are we engaged in our community? I remember hearing my friend Carla preach not long ago, and she said, holiness is not defined by the culture, but holiness must engage the culture. You know, I say this with a smile on my face and with joy in my heart. There's a lot of parents, there's a lot of parents in this community by tomorrow afternoon would know that we're not here because our after-school program would leave a void in a lot of people's lives. Thank God we're engaging our community in that regard. So how long would it take for the rest of the community to know we're not here? Jesus says, here's what you're doing. You, you are so careful that, that you take, you take your, your, your tithe so seriously and, and, and you take, you know, just, just this little bit of spice that comes out of a garden, a little bit of dill, and you have a knife and you're separating it out one-tenth. It would just fit in the palm of your hand and you're so careful to make sure that you get one-tenth and you take it to the temple and you give it in your tithe. But you stumble over hurting people on your way to the temple and you don't even notice them. Are, are, are you saying that the tithe was not important in the eyes of God to the Pharisee? Oh no, here's what Jesus says. You should be doing the former, but you should not neglect the latter. You're neglecting important issues like mercy, and justice and faithfulness. 
it, it, it's like if today we, we left here and, and, and at two o'clock there's somebody banging on all the doors and they're trying to get in and they're trying to see is anybody in there and they're banging and they're going, I, I, I forgot something. I, I, I didn't even notice my, my check that I got this week. There was, there was 10 cents in change and I, I owe a penny in tithe that I didn't give. But they drove by somebody in great need on the way and didn't even see them. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Sometimes I'm not surprised that, that the world calls us hypocrites when we do so little to help the human condition on our way to our places of worship. When we stumble over people who are hurting and in need and we don't see them because we're so focused on getting to the house of worship. Sometimes I'm not surprised that the people in the world look at us and call us hypocritical. When I was in junior high, a lady in our church, her house burned to the ground, to the ground. She lived way out in the country. There was no way a fire truck could get to her that quickly. Her house burned all the way to the ground. What was saved, nothing was saved. Everything was burned to the ground. And so a week or two later on Wednesday night in church, she stood up to talk about her house burning. And here's what she said. The only things that were saved in the fire were the things we had given away. And I think that may be true of all of life. Everything else perishes. And the only things that we save are the things that we give away. So for those of you who are dying to challenge me, let, let me help you with it, okay? Why are we so focused on what everybody thinks of us? Is, is that where our focus should be? Is that what we should do? Are, are we people who should wring our hands about what the world thinks of us? Is, is that our goal to somehow change the world's view of Christians? Let's, let's think about it in these terms. Rick, Rick Russell tells a story about his dad retiring from his workplace. He worked there, he said, for over 40 years, just over 40 years, his dad worked at one place. He said he wasn't the CEO of the company. In fact, he was a common laborer. He worked hard every day for 40 years, just over 40 years. And he said, so when it came time for my dad to retire, I decided I was going to surprise him. 
I flew across the country. And I stood outside my dad's workplace. I couldn't go in because of security, but I could stand outside and wait for him to come out. And so here I see my dad coming, and he's carrying by himself one box, a cardboard box of his personal belongings, because it's his last day at work. Nobody is surrounding him. There's no fanfare, nothing. And my dad goes through security, and when he steps through security, I'm standing on the sidewalk on the other side of the gate, and I start clapping for my dad. And he said, my dad looks up, and he sees it's me. And, and he walks over to me, and he sets the cardboard box down, and he smiles, and he hugs me, and he says, what, why, why did you come? And he kind of looked around and said, this is no big deal. In other words, there's, there's nobody else celebrating. And he goes, no, it is a big deal, Dad. You worked 40 years for this company. You should be honored. I'm here to honor you. I'm, I'm here to celebrate with you. You did a good job. And so he said, my mom and I have been working together, and that night we had a room reserved at a restaurant, and we invited some friends of my dad, and we celebrated his retirement. And the next morning, two of my dad's friends, and my dad and I, we got up and we went and we played golf together. And after golf, we went back to my mom and dad's house. We ate lunch. I took a shower, and I headed to the airport, and I got on a plane, and I went back home, and I got back into my routine of life. He's a pastor. And he said, at the end of the week, I go get the mail, and there's a card from my dad. And the left side of the card that was originally blank, my dad filled in with his writing. Rick, I can't believe you came. How kind. You surprised me. I had no idea you would come. I suppose that I will go to heaven before you go. Considering my age. I plan to ask a favor of the Lord when I get there. That on the day of your revival, I will stand just inside the gate. And when you walk through... I'm going to clap for you. And I hope to be close enough to overhear the words when the Lord says to you, Rick, well done. We, we only have one person to please. It is not our task to change the entire world's view of Christian people. It is our task to honor God and please Him alone with our lives. That's our only worry. That's our goal. But when we get this relationship right and we begin to honor God with our lives 
and we ask Him the questions, have I been faithful? Do you see me as a person of integrity? Am I honoring you with the choices that I'm making? In your eyes, Father, am I authentic? Am I real? When we get this relationship right, it's amazing how it affects these relationships. These relationships are not the goal. This is the goal. This becomes the benefit. When the goal is to live my life to honor and please God, it's amazing how it affects these relationships. These are great benefits. But there's only one goal. And that is to live my life in such a way that when I finally come to the end and it's finally over, that God himself will look me in the eye and say, Rick, you did good. And so the earlier questions I challenge you to ask yourself are not the important ones. The important question is when you stand in the morning or tonight or whenever it is that you have your time alone with God, you ask Him, do you see me as a person who is real? Do you see me, God, as a person of integrity? Do you see me as a person who is fair? Do you see me as a person who is compassionate? Do you see me, God, as one who is faithful? Would, would, would you stand with me and would you bow your heads with me? And, and would you maybe even consider taking these next few moments and praying that prayer? So, Father, even in these moments, I feel like what you've given us in Matthew 23 is a window, a window to look through and to see ourselves like you see us. And to somehow be able to see ourselves like you see us is powerful. Because in it, Father, we feel challenged. And sometimes challenges come through some pretty harsh words. And sometimes you challenge us, even as I've noticed today, through name-calling. That we, Lord, would be honest in our own hearts and ask you to let us see what you see. And I pray this in Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.